This is 602 Create driver Logan Watt, and you're listening to the Four Wide Salute Podcast. to another episode of the Four Wide Sleep Podcast. I am your host, Casey, as always. On to our recap here. First things first, I did miss an item last week. How I missed this, I have no idea. Texas Dirt Nationals, 50 grand to win for the Super Late Models. And of course, Brandon Overton took home that check. Kay Dillard also picked up the victory on the first night for the Super Late Models. Uh, breaking news. So it came out, I believe, Monday or Tuesday. The Gypsum Racing Team, okay, Modifieds, Larry White, Pat Ward, Billy Decker, uh, they announced that the 91 of Decker, the 42P of Pat Ward, will no longer be in 2022. Uh, statement was released by team owner John, indicating that he has no desire to take the 99 of his son Larry on the Super Dirt Tour next year at this point either. Plans are to just run weekly shows, which I would believe would have to be Bruton and Fulton where John owns the tracks. But I don't know that Pat Ward is going to look for a full-time ride. He doesn't run full-time as it is now. Why does he have to? He's accomplished so much. Decker, on the other hand, I believe will just be running the Jeremy Smith own 91 that he currently runs on the Short Track Super Series North Tour. So interesting things happening up north. On to our results. So nothing from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I know it was boring. Wednesday, however, it continued to be boring. Cash roll flow racing night in America at Farmer City Raceway in Illinois was rained out. Thursday. I know we're getting a trend here. Watch. Thursday, USAC, James Dean Classic at Gas City I-69 Speedway. Rained out. But Indiana Icebreaker at Brownstown Speedway kicking off three-day show for Lucas Oil Late Models. That did run with Brandon Shepard taking it home the victory. On to our weekend events. World of Outlaw Sprints. So Friday, they were a part of the Four Crown Weekend. Hosted there before the Crown Showdown at Eldora Speedway. Logan Schuhart was your winner. Saturday, they were at Lernerville Speedway for the Commonwealth Clash. David Gravel picked up the victory. All-Stars, they were part of Four Crown Nationals yesterday on Saturday with Rico Abreu picking up the victory in the winged 410. On to USAC. Friday, Midgets ran a full program at Eldor, part of Four Crown Nationals. Of course, Tyler Courtney was your winner. Last night, they ran the Silver Crown Cars, Sprints, and Midgets. Tyler Courtney was your winner in the Wingless Sprint Division. Logan Seavey in the Silver Crown Big Booty Cars. And Big Daddy Chris Windham was your winner in the Midgets. Super Dirt, the Malta Massive Weekend at Albany Saratoga Speedway. Hats off to Mike Mahaney. Finally getting her done. Picking up that first elusive Super Dirt win. Couldn't be happier for uh, Mike, family, friends. Lucas Oil Late Models. 
Friday night, Brownstown Speedway, night before the Jackson Turbo was your winner, Tyler Erb. And last night for the 42nd annual Jackson 100 Brownstown Speedway, the O Show back in Victory Lane, Jimmy Owens. World about all late models. They were supposed to be at the Rev for a two-day show Friday and Saturday. That was postponed a week ago, which allowed some of them guys to come up and run Brownstown and other events. Ultimate Super Late Model Series. Last night, Clarks Hill Classic at Modoc Raceway in South Carolina. Rambo, back in Victory Lane, Dennis Rambo Franklin. Mars Racing Series. Two-day show at Spoon River in Illinois for the championship weekend. This is going to be it for them for the rest of the year. Rained out after the heat races on Friday. And then last night, smooth operator Bobby Pierce picking up the championship weekend victory. Friday. So Bridgeport kicked off their three-day show, the Danny Serrano weekend. Got to miss him so much, as I'm sure a lot of you do. They kicked off with running two underdog 20s for the 602 crates. Matt Ellery picked up the victory in the first one, and Eric Corman picking up the win in the second one. Mass 305s also ran with Kevin Nagy taking home the victory. Williams Grove had the Outlaw tune-up show. Hats off to Blackjack Brian Brown. First win at Williams Grove. Let's see if he can roll that over into a nice parlay next weekend. And Derek Locke picked up the final 358s event of the year at the Grove. Bedford, night number one of the DJ Troutman tribute race. They had 67 ump mods, or Renegades of Dirt modifieds as they want to call them, but they're ump mods. And Nick Hoffman, first time ever showing up at Bedford, ended up picking up the victory. ULMS, Jim Garman Memorial at Thunder Mountain Speedway. That's Thunder Mountain, Pennsylvania. Greg Satterley was your winner. Albany, Saratoga, Friday night before the big show last night, hosted a Dirt Car 358 event in which Matt Williamson was your winner. Outlaw Speedway. So Patriot Sprint Tour had the completion of the feature that was cut short back in August in which Ryan Smith was the leader at the time when the rain came. He did go on to pick up the victory. And then they were running a completely new 4,000 to win Fall Nationals event. However, it was postponed due to a generator fire. More to come on that. On to Saturday's events. As you guys can see, stuff is winding down around here. Second day for the Denny Serrano weekend at Bridgeport. Modified triple 20s. And those are going to set certain parts of the lineup for today's event. They did run, a, I believe, a nine-car cash dash, which was won by Billy Pouch. And that will put him on the pole for today's race. I believe that to be true. So the first triple um, is actually a really good race. We went down there for this event yesterday. We're going back down today. Um, the first triple 20 was really, really exciting. Uh, you had Grasso leading a bunch of that. Ryan Creation was all over him. And Craig Von Dorn was just lingering in third. And a bunch of miscues by the top two guys. And Craig was able to sneak by and then pull away to pick up the first one. 
Billy Pouch, I believe, started towards the front of the second one. He was dominant, gone from the get-go. And then Neil the Wheel Williams picking up the third triple 20. USAC East Coast was also in town with Alex Bright picking up the victory. And Billy Pouch, victory in the Speedsters as well. So he was in victory lane three times last night. Exciting. Bedford, again, the DJ Troutman tribute race. Aunt Mods went to the high side tickler himself, Kyle Strickler. Penn Can hosted King of the Can. Andy Bacchetti, former guest on the Four Wide Slew podcast, was your winner. Outlaw. So they had made a post yesterday that they were going to have to cancel yesterday's show. Now, they were supposed to run their fall nationals, modified 50 lapper, big event. Due to the fire from the generator they had Friday night, they were unable to get things back up and going yesterday. The parts they needed weren't going to be in until Monday. Then they have to get it recoded by the state or the fire department, whichever the case may be. So big, unfortunate circumstances at Outlaw. hope they get their stuff to back up and running. And uh, just in time to run their big weekend coming up, I believe, at the end of October. So hope they get everything fixed. Sealands Grove, Jim Nace National Open, $20,075 to win. Anthony Macri does it again. I believe that's back-to-back for him at Sealands Grove for the National Open. And past 305s went to Derek Hawk. ULMS, again, day number two at Thunder Mountain Speedway in Pennsylvania, uh, was canceled due to, I believe they had rain. They did not make a statement about that. And then that's it. That's that's all our events. Uh, those are your results. Here are your upcoming events. I did include a couple of local ones in here, so just bear with me. New Egypt next Saturday is running the ninth annual All-Star Cup Shootout 100 Lapper. And Fulton, which is where at the current moment I'm going, 35th annual Outlaw 200. World of Outlaw Sprints, Friday and Saturday, Williams Grove Speedway. I am going Friday. 10 grand to win Friday, $75,000 on Saturday. We'll see who takes it home, Posse or Outlaw. We'll see. USAC, sprints are in action Friday and Saturday. Friday, they will be at Terra Hot Action Track. And Saturday, Lawrenceburg Speedway. Lucas Oil Late Models, Friday, Great Lakes 50 Lapper at Raceway 7 in Ohio. And then Saturday, the big 33rd annual Pittsburgher 100 at Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway. World of Outlaw Late Models Friday, Cherokee Speedway in South Carolina for the Mike Duval Memorial. And Saturday, they will be at Sonoya Raceway in Georgia. That's it, folks. Those are your upcoming events. Those were your results. As always, please like and share the podcast. Smash that like button. Uh, Five-star ratings on all your podcast platforms. Cannot thank you guys enough. Thanks to my wife for helping out as well. We hit over 400 followers on this page. 400. Cannot tell you how super excited I am about that. But that's all I really have for you on to this week's episode. Pap Pap himself, Brad Brightbill. I had the pleasure of talking with Brad the other night. And uh, just going over some recent things. The Sixer weekend he had. And, of course, his win that he was able to pick up earlier um, this month. So, 
that's all I got, guys. I'm going to Bridgeport. I don't know about you guys. So we're going to button this up short and sweet and uh, get you right into your interview. But uh, stay tuned for the results from Bridgeport. That'll be on next week's episode with a new special guest. Uh, that's it. That's all I got, man. So, you know, as Whippy likes to say, peace, love, and round around, right? But, um, you know, until next time, enjoy the show. Bill Brown & Company, located in Hamilton, New Jersey, has been in the printing and promotional products business since 1946. Current owner and proud dirt track supporter Ken Bruce has been with the company since 1987 and has continued to deliver the customer service that Bill Brown & Company has delivered since the beginning. Kenny supports dirt track racing through the sponsorship of the number 11 modified driven by Danny Heber, along with sponsorship of bonuses of Big Diamond Speedway and the Short Track Super Series, and is proud to be a sponsor of the Four Wide Salute podcast. You can reach Bill Brown and Company at 609-586-1408 or by email at kbruce at billbrowninc.com. You can also check out the promotional products on the website at www.billbrowninc.com. This week's episode of the Four Wide Sleep Podcast, I have with me none other than Pap Pap himself, Mr. Brad Brightbill. Brad, how's it going, man? Good. So uh, let's start with this past weekend. How, um, you know, the 38er, I don't think, turned out the way you wanted to. You had a decent run in the Sixer. How do you think your weekend went? Um, I mean, we had... We had good cars in both races. It's just, you know, luck just didn't fall our way. Uh, you know, we qualified, uh, we won the heat in the sportsman, and uh, uh, we got the last qualifying spot in the heat on Saturday. It's uh, just you know, bad luck in the features, and just, uh, you know, didn't go our way. I mean, got spun out, uh, got spun out, we're going for second um, in the sportsman race, and then I fell back a little bit in the modified race, and, uh, uh, we worked our way back up to, uh, I think it was like 8th or ninth, and then um, we got tangled up with Loudon got a flat, and uh, we got stuck behind him, and then whoever was behind me uh, turned me around, didn't have nowhere to go, so it's just bad racing incidents. Yeah, which uh, unfortunately has been kind of the story of the year, um, but you were able to pick up, believe it or not, I couldn't believe it, your first modified win uh, at the end of August, and I got to tell you, I'm glad that Port Royal rained out because I was actually at Port Royal at six o'clock and hoofed my ass all the way to Grandview, and was glad I was there to see it. Um, so, granted, it's a product of the handicapping system. You did start third, which hey, it's what it is. It's where you start. It's where you start. Uh, do you feel? Like you got that monkey off your back now? Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, the good starting spot helped. But I mean, even looking back, you know, we went to, you know, we went on my laps, and we, you know, we had, we still had the fastest lap of the whole race. So I mean, it's not that we weren't fast enough, I don't think, <laughs> or that the, you know, the track was one lane. I think, I mean, that helped us probably, but I mean, I don't think that that was totally. The whole thing, but I mean, I'm I'm just glad I'm just glad it happened in eight races, and I don't have to. You know, some people wait years until they get their first win. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and going to the 38er was that the first time you drove a, a 602 crate? Yeah, it's, I've never I've never had one before. Um, 
Uh, it's a lot different than the open sports. Uh, just, you know, you can't turn them as many RPMs. And I mean, almost almost felt like I was dragging a trailer behind me is what it felt like to me. But I guess I kind of used to running the modified all year. It was kind of like a, you know, slowed up a lot. So, Well, and someone had brought up the other week about Larson and how he goes from doing the weekend deal running 200 miles an hour and then gets in a sprint car or a late model and it's almost like it's slow motion form is but it also allows him to probably perfect his craft that much easier because in his mind he's going that much slower do you think that that kind of plays into when you're running a crate car um i don't know i'd be like I mean, to me, it just seems like, it, I mean, you don't have as much power as like an uh, open sportsman or, you know, a, a small block, but I mean, you're still running like the same lap times as uh, an open sportsman, but it just doesn't, just doesn't feel that way. That's all. Interesting. So you are running the same lap times. It's just, it doesn't feel that way. That's interesting. Um, it's just because it's that different horsepower range and torque range. It's just it's like it feels dead to me, but it's you know you're still putting out the same results as if you were you know in an open sportsman. So, right. I mean, I, I guess you can attribute it to the same thing as when you buy a new car and you're on the highway and you look down and you're doing eighty and you're like, oh, I only feel like I was doing forty five. <laughs> but um, so when you hopped in the modified then on on Saturday, was it? Oh my God! Holy crap! Like this isn't the crate car all over again. Now I'm back in the modified. Was it? I mean, did it help you at all to run the crate? I mean, did did you learn anything that you could apply to running on Saturday? I mean, not. I mean, not particularly. I mean, uh, I mean, it just felt way different. You know, I was like, oh, well, we've got, I got my power back now. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, sometimes just because you know they're they're slower doesn't mean that they're easier to drive. It's, okay. I mean, I know there's a couple people that say that, uh, you know, it's harder to run the sportsman than it is the modified. In some, I mean, in some cases, I think that's true. Because, um, I mean, the sportsman is a very competitive class. I mean, it doesn't – the rules are so close and everybody has the same thing pretty much. And, I mean, it's, it's not much different than the modifieds. But, I mean, I I think I have sometimes – I have a hard time passing cars in the sportsman than I do in the modified. So. Right. Now, let me ask you this. So there's, I mean, I'll, of course, Big Diamond, we have an open class and we have a crate class. And crates can run with the opens, but the rules don't change. There's no weight breaks, none of that stuff. But Grandview does allow that stuff. So now you've drove the open against crates and now you've driven the crate against the opens and, and the crates as well. Does the rules at Grandview does it does it kind of even them out as far as um, depending on what you're running? I think, I mean, I think they're pretty even as as far as the track conditions are correct. You know, okay. like if it's too wet, it always favors to the opens, and if it's really super slick, then it'll favor towards you know the crates more. Okay, but I mean, uh, so it all depends on, on track conditions. So. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to explain it because I mean, when you have it wet, you know the you know the open sports ones, you can obviously you know take them up more RPMs and they can they can really get around on a wet track. Right. So, I mean, they can really just you know lay the hammer down and you know the crates like you're just hammered down all the time, whether it's slick or wet. So I mean, it's just you just don't have as you don't have quite as much power as the open. Interesting. Okay. So now the car 
that you did drive on Friday, the 38er. That's the same car that you kicked ass with the last two seasons, uh, going back to 19 at Grandview and then last year at Diamond. Um, so I think at this point, everyone knows it's the home-built car. So how did that whole concept come about? What, building a car? or Building the car. Instead of just getting a used chassis or a brand new one, where did the whole concept come from? Let's build a car. I mean, and, and we know your dad's done it oh, going back years and years and years. But where did the idea nowadays where everything's so cookie cutter and everyone has a Bicknell, a T.O., whatever, where did that all come from? Well, I mean, we had, it's not like we didn't have any, like my dad has been running, I mean, towards the end there, he ran, you know, all factory cars, or, mm-hmm. you know, manufactured cars. So, and, you know, there would be things on the car and we were like, well, I wish it would have been like this or, you know, and, and like I even had um, one of his old Tino's and I was like, I just want to like cut this whole thing, thing apart and just change the whole thing around. But then I ended up selling it and I was like, you know, why don't we just, why don't we just build one from scratch? I mean, then we can just do whatever we want. And... So that's pretty much, that's just pretty much how it started. Okay. And then now, of course, you have to have some kind of template, right? If you're going to build a chassis to specification and how far off from a factory car was it? I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not way off. I was just changing small things here and there. Like, you know, if I didn't like where this rail was, I would either move it over or move it down or whatever. So, I mean, it's not very far off of what a Tio or a Bignell is. It's just, I mean, it's pretty much the same width. You know, everything's pretty much in the same spot. It's just there's certain things that I didn't like about, you know, the Tio or whatever. You know, like I didn't, I wanted to change the bottom rail underneath the rear. You know, I thought I wanted the rear to drop further or whatever. You know, then I can just kind of do do what I wanted and you could kind of pick and choose what you wanted to make it. So, Right. And then when you first brought it out to the track, did it drive like you thought it would? Well, we were, we were trying some off the wall stuff and, <laughs> and, and we pretty much just chased it the whole, the whole year. Um, and until you, you get so, like you get so far out there, and then you, like you almost don't even know where you're at anymore. So right. you almost you know you take, every once in a while, I mean, you just got to go back to basics. And then we went back and you know to the basic stuff, you know, with the basic bars and stuff in it. But it's you know, um, and then we just kind of adjusted from there. Which I mean, because we were using some of my 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 dad's older theories. Mm-hmm. You know, again, try to try to play them into the new car, but um, some of the stuff, like I just didn't have enough motor to make work what he wanted to make happen. And right? Because it's different. It's different with a sportsman than it is, like say, if I had an 800 horsepower big block, because the car was so tight that I couldn't even turn it. And then, I mean, it was locked to the racetrack. Oh wow! And I just, I it was. It was I literally ripped the front wheels off the ground. So, I mean, it was, it was like a barrel to drive. And then, you know, finally I said, um, you know, we gotta gotta go back to basics here. We're we're getting too far off base. And then we started making small adjustments here and there, you know, as I, you know, was driving the car or whatever. And, um, you know, I think, I think this is going to help a little bit. We're going to change it over here. And then, you know, I think, I think we need to change this and then we move that. And then, you know, everything started playing, playing out the way we thought it would and, and you know the car worked really good 
Yeah, and that seems to be the thing, going back to what you said about your dad's old theories, is nowadays I've noticed with some of the older car owners that we still have around and these younger drivers or an older crew chief or a younger one, and it's the the technology comes into play, of course, and it's some of the older theories and the way it used to be or the way you used to do it compared to what it is now. Um you think you've been able to kind of teach your dad some of the new tricks? Uh, I don't think. I mean, I don't think he's ever gonna learn any new tricks. Though, but uh, I mean, me and him go, we go at it with dumb stuff all the time. And I have, I have my belief that one thing works one way, and he has a, a totally different belief that it works another way. So, uh, I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm sure he's picked up on some of the stuff that we're doing, and you know, kind of. Because, I mean, he's he sat there many times and just told me, like, you, you don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So. Well, and he – and it's, the cool thing about him is he's at the shop a lot. And he's also in the pits a lot, too. He pops up at all these races all the time. And he – of course, he goes to talk to people he knows from back in the day or whatever. But he still knows he's around a little bit. So he's – He's still interested in seeing what's going on with these things. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a modified, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. He goes to the track with us, and, and then, like, you know, he gets pierced for a little while. And I say, so, what'd you learn tonight? Because <laughs> he's going to walk with everybody's car and see what everybody has, like, what they're doing. And that's, so then he comes back and, like, so what'd you find out? I think <laughs> And knowing him, he'd come back with some, well, I found out this guy moved last week, and he'll come back with some off-the-wall information. But uh, no, the the home-built thing was kind of, of, I think once everyone found out, it was such a big story because, like I said, no one does that anymore. Um, and then you had this season you had at Grandview in 2019. I mean – you won everything there was to win except winning every week. Uh, you won the firecracker 40, you won the championship, you won the 38 er. Um, how kind of surreal was that to win all three of those at one, in one year? I mean, at Grandview, especially that is, I mean, that's one of the hardest places to race. And then actually you have like a consistent finishes every week, just because of the, you know, the racing environment that was, mm-hmm. it's just so physical. It's, um, it's, it's hard to believe that you can get in all the big wins in one year. It's like, that's almost impossible. And I was, I was kind of uh, blown away myself. Yeah. I, I would, I would, I mean, if I was a betting money, um, a betting man, I would not bet money on that <laughs> ever happening. So. It's hard to dominate as as much as it is anymore, especially at a place like that. For one, it's tight racing. Two, they handicap so far back. Um, and you know how many times did you start way back in that field and had to make your way through a lot of big wrecks and slower guys and all that stuff. But um, no, it was it just kind of all came together in one year. And then 2020... You did the exact same thing at Diamond. <laughs> you won all the big races and the championship all in one year. So in a matter of two seasons with that home-built car, you accomplished what guys have been trying to do their entire careers. I mean, I don't – I mean, I, I just – I don't even know what to say about the car. I mean, it's just – I mean, it just works. I don't mm-hmm. – 
That's um, it. It's, it I mean, it like, just works. Once I got a basic setup down and something that I was comfortable with, it, it um, you know, it just kind of, everything kind of just went my way. I mean, you know, fifty percent of your you know racing is like most of it's luck. I mean, I think if cards have to fall your way when you're at the racetrack, or you know, think you can just have a bad night. <laughs> oh yeah, especially when there's draw shows involved, you have to be able to draw well. That's a start. But yeah, you're exactly right. A lot of things do have to go your way and you have to be able to avoid other people's messes and stuff like that at the same time. You know, sometimes it's just being lucky. Like, Hey, I was in the bottom lane. If I was in the top lane, I would have been involved in that wreck. You know, it's like, you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, yeah, it's like I said, it's, it's a lot of luck. It's not just, you know, having a good car and you know, it's, everything's got to go your way. So where, where did the idea come from now for you to put the crate in that car? Well, we were, we were actually waiting on a, on a modified motor that we're waiting on parts for. And, you know, it's really hard to get parts right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had talked to Jason Leindecker, um, and I said, hey, do you have, I mean, do you have anything I can put in my car? He's like, oh, I got, you know, I got this crate. And I'm like, all right, well, I mean, we got, I don't know, like six or eight big money crate races at the end of the year. And so I said, sure, why not? And so, um, you know, that's, that's the way we started going. And I mean, we had just, I had the car from last year. We never even took it apart or anything. It was sitting over in the other garage just collecting dust. So I said, I said we'll just pull that one back out and stick it back in there. So, yeah, I, I mean, mean that's, that's what we did. Yeah. And as far as the opens go, there's not a whole lot of big money races that are throughout the season anymore for opens specifically but yeah crate racing is like the new thing to do with a modified chassis now and you're right you had the 38er you have uh bridgeport coming up you port royal coming up that's a big weekend um you know georgetown's in there there's a lot of big stuff coming up and um now that's a way to to capitalize on it uh is there any plans to race the 14 the rest of the year um, I think you know, we've. I think we decided that you know we uh, we're gonna hang. We're gonna stop for the year. Um, I mean, we didn't have a, besides winning that one week and you know a couple of top locations. I mean, our year was terrible at Grandview. I mean, as far as record stuff, um, demolishing the car three times. I mean, uh, you know, we they spent a lot of money, and you know my sponsor chipped in some money, and it's. Uh, I think we we just got to the point where we better just quit while we're ahead. <laughs> yeah, and that makes sense. There ain't nothing wrong with that. And sometimes you just have a bad year, and you better just call it call it a year. Sometimes. So one thing I did want to I did want to bring up is as long as I can remember knowing you and and being in the pits, you've had a couple of guys that have been around throughout all that time, Scotty and Lauren. How? How long have they been with you, and how did they end up being a part of your crew? Well, I mean, I when I first started, like when I first started racing, um, I, I went to the track by myself, the Big Diamond. Um, well, actually, I started at New Egypt, and you know, I would park next to my dad or whatever. And then after, you know, I, I didn't want to drive to New Egypt; I wanted to go race the Big Diamond, so because it was closer to home and that mm-hmm. dog was far. Um, I went by myself pretty much and I parked next to, you know, um, George Numbenhauer 
Okay. And luckily, you know, his dad, Tommy, and, you know, we were, you know, we were good friends and stuff. And, you know, they would, you know, if I had a problem or if I had a flat tire or whatever, they would, they would actually change it for me because I was all by myself. So, <laughs> um, you know, then I, you know, people were talking to me like, hey, why didn't you make it back out or whatever? And I'm like, well, I'm the only one there. So I. <laughs> So then, you know, next thing you know, like Lauren started coming with, and then his son Adam helped me for a long time, and um, you know, my my friend Brad Whitehead, he he showed up, and he was, I mean, he was my crew chief for a while, mm-hmm. um, um, and then you know, Lauren kind of he went, and I think he was helping Seacrest for a while, um, you know, then um, his son, you know, started his tire business, so he kind of stopped helping a little bit because he had his own stuff to do. And, you know, uh, Whitehead decided he was going to go four-wheeler racing. And um, the ride opened up in Dwayne Geisweit's car, and Lauren was actually helping Geisweit at the time because Seacrest was driving the car. And okay. when I started driving the car, then, you know, Lauren helped me out. And then when I stopped driving for Dwayne and got my own car going again, then he just kind of transferred over. So, um, I mean, he's been with since, you know, um, I, I can't even count how many years he's been helping me. But. And how long has Scotty been helping you? Oh, he's been around a while too. Uh, I can't even, I don't even remember the years he started helping. Um, I don't know, it was back in, Back at, when I was running Diamond, I think the first time I was running Diamond, uh, that was a while ago. Um, I can't even remember the year, but they've both been with me a long time now, and, and I appreciate you know everything that they come and help me out with. And, I mean, I definitely couldn't do it without them. No? They're, a lot, uh, a lot of teams guys. have like five, six guys now. It's like, uh, you know, just, uh, just us three most of the time. Uh, you got an oddball helper here and there. And, I mean, but, uh, you know, Scotty lives an hour away, so, I mean, he doesn't get to come to the shop much. He'll come on the weekends, and, I mean, Lauren comes over, you know, two or three nights a week and then goes to the racetracks. I mean, that's a big help. And I mean, I can take any help I can get. I'm just glad I got those two guys. Yeah, sometimes you call up some random people to come wheel parts into the infield at Kutztown. (laughs) (laughs) Me. Um... Well, sometimes sometimes certain races call for all hands on deck, so I'll start making phone calls. Oh, dude, I jumped out of my seat when you when you called me. I'm like, absolutely, I'd love to come be a part of a pit crew. By the way, I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> That's all right. We'll point you in the right direction. Hey, you had me putting on the rear bumper every week. It was good. That was like a lot of sweat. <laughs> Usually that's nothing. That's something you don't have to do. But <laughs> no, when you're putting two cars in one hauler, it is. Yeah, and we have to make some room, so something had to go. <laughs> so you said you got your start at New Egypt. So did you didn't run quarter midgets or go karts or nothing? Well, I, um, I actually, well, when I was younger, I think I was, I don't know, twelve or whatever. I, I ran like a half a season of go karts at Shellhammers and. I just didn't work out. I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a very good go kart driver. But then the, I, I got the opportunity when I was like 15 to drive my Rose Sportsman at Susquehanna. Okay. And you know, the first time out, I got like a 15th or something. I mean, I, I never really had any seat time besides. That was the first time I ever sat in one and actually drove it. Um, and we started, you know, last and ended up 15th. I think there was like 20 cars there or whatever. Um, and I was like, I really, 
I really think I could do better. So, uh, you know, I begged, you know, Ray Carroll to let me drive it again. And second time out was a mass improvement. I, you know, we got, we got fourth the second time out. And then, you know, my brother went back to driving it. So, uh, you know, I begged Ray Carroll for months and months and months. And then finally let me have one more shot at it. And we ended up second. So, so the first three times out, you know, we did pretty good. And I was like, I was hooked after that. So, and, was, <laughs> and now we're now we're here. So. And what car was that? Um, it was actually a leaf spring car that my dad had built in 1994. Oh wow! Uh, it was like an experimental car, and he ran it uh, a couple a couple of dirt races around here, like Bridgeport, and uh, I think it was uh, Susquehanna. I think. Oh wow. I think that year it was like Susquehanna and Bridgeport. Those were the only two close races for the Super Dirt Series. So then we after that car, just specifically for that and for the series races, and you know, he got, I think he got top five in both races. First time out with Leaf Springs on, and, and uh, I mean, after that, it kind of sat outside the shop for I don't know how many years, three years, four years, and then. Keith had put it together to make it a sportsman car, and they just switched. They took the leaf springs off and just put regular radius rods on it. But, um, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's how that car started. I mean, like, my brother drove that for, I don't know how many years, four years, five years. Could you, believe, could you believe this past weekend that the Sixer was the first time I actually met him? Oh, really? I, but he talked to me like we've known each other for years. <laughs> but yeah, I'd actually never met Keith before until until this past weekend. It was pretty cool. But um, so after Susky and running that car a couple of times, how did you ended up going to New Egypt, right, for your actual rookie season, right? Well, see, after, I mean, I didn't start actually racing on a weekly basis until like 2001. So okay, it was like six years. That was six years after I first drove it. Oh, so, wow. So you just ran sporadically um, or what? Well, no, I just, those were the first, those were the only three times that I ran it. And then, oh, so you didn't drive didn't for really six have, years. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't race at all for six years. And then, oh, wow. Um, I didn't really have, I wasn't really, uh, I don't know. I didn't really have, because uh, Ray pretty much fielded the car for Keith. And then, you know, Ray, well, it was just my dad racing then. So then okay. you know, Ray wasn't really around. So. And, you know, I, I didn't have the money to put a car together. So, right. Um, until I, you know, I rounded up enough people, you know, and a couple of us, like a little sponsor here and a little sponsor there. And then my mom was helping me out a lot. And, you know, I rounded up enough money where I could put a motor together. And then I pulled that car back out of the weeds after <laughs> six years or whatever. There are a lot of cars <laughs> set in the weeds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you'll find a lot of cars over there sitting in the weeds. So, I mean, you could just pick one and pull it out. So. It's the it's the bright bill graveyard, as people like to call where race cars go to die. But yes, there is a lot of cars there. Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely all rusted up, and so I mean, I, I pulled it in and I stripped it all down, put the body on it, you know, put the. I got a motor that my dad used to run at Syracuse from like 1998, and. Um, it was a, he ran that in a small block race, but we just switched it over to an open sportsman motor, and and that was my first motor. And I had that motor, I don't know, I ran that motor for twelve years. Wow, it sounds like a Stevie Buckwaller type story, running the same motor from twenty years ago and stuff like that. That's crazy. I think we had to, I think we we ran it for so long, I had to sleeve the block twice. So wow. <laughs> 
That's nuts. But hey, it saves you from buying a whole new motor every couple of years or every year, like some people do. Yeah, I mean, I just don't have like I I never had the you know the finances to do that. I I mean, everywhere I can cut corners and save money. I mean, I can't. I just can't spend money like the other people do. I just don't. I don't have it. So Wait, and you know what? And you know what's interesting about that too is I bet you there's people that are in the grandstands that would fully believe being Kenny Brightbill's kid, and even Billy Jr. told me the same thing, being Pouch's kid, that you would have a ride and you would have top-notch equipment because, well, your your dads are who they are. And it wasn't the case for either of you. You kind of had to oh, earn no, your way. I mean, like, if I didn't know some of the people that I know, like, you know, I'm good friends with Jeff Strunk and, right. you know, like... I know, you know Craig Von Dorn and and you know all those guys. Like I used to go, you know they would have stuff laying around that they took off the car, and I'm like, hey, you know, what do you want for that or whatever? And they're like, just just take it, you know what I mean? Just go go put your car together. And it's like, right. So I mean, without those guys, I mean, I probably I probably never would have seen the racetrack. And you know, I got Ray Carroll, and I I got all used tires from Jeff Strunk when you know he was running the 126, and yep. like I would go over there like once a week, and I'd say, hey, what do you what do you got laying around? <laughs> and I would just, that's, I mean, that's how I would pick up stuff for the race car. I, mean, I didn't, I just didn't have the money to go buy the stuff. So. Well, and, and being that the fact that you weren't handed a ride with top notch equipment probably made you appreciate what you had underneath you the whole time anyway, because you, oh, yeah. if it's something that was paid for by someone else and you can go out there and just say, well, I didn't pay for it. I'm just going to drive it into the ground. Well, in your case, you know, you had to earn all that stuff to what you had underneath you. You probably treated it better than a lot of other people do. I don't know. My dad always taught me when you were when I was younger. You know, you you don't go out and abuse stuff. It's, I mean, it's you know, that's it's not good. You know, you're just you're just wasting money then. You know? So it's right. like, you know, the easier you are on equipment, the you know, the more, the more equipment you'll have to race. So he always taught me that from when I was younger. So. I, and car yeah, owners never, and car owners look for that too. Yeah, I don't know if I can say that that, that was the case this year. I think I, <laughs> I, I think I destroyed a lot of stuff this year, but I don't think it was completely my fault. But, no, no, <laughs> maybe like five percent wasn't your fault, but yeah. So, but, so how did the first season you did end up running at New Egypt? How did that go for your first full season? Uh I, I had a lot of learning to do because, uh, I mean, uh, you know, I had a six-year break there. And mm-hmm. Susky was way different than New Egypt. New Egypt was really hammered down. And Susky was more like, you know, you get the long straightaways and then you slow down and go through the corners. It wasn't quite as fast-paced as New Egypt. So, like, I was that was the first time I was on a track that was, you know, hammered down and, like, a lot of action all the time. And I, I wrecked a lot of shit. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I remember the one of the first nights out. I, I completely blew the rear right out of the car. Wow! Blasted somebody in the corner when they were, I didn't even see them sitting there. Like, uh, you know, I like I said, I had a lot of learning to do, and um, you learn. I mean, you learn real quick when you start breaking stuff, and um, and you you learn to like keep your eyes open and you know slow down a little bit. You know, maybe not take so much of a chance because then you know it's money out of your pocket. So. Who were some of the guys you raced back then at New Egypt in that sportsman class? Um, Anybody that's still around? Yeah, actually, when I started at New Egypt in the sportsman class, or Ryan Godown was in the sportsman class yet. And, oh, wow. Uh, Dominic Buffalino. 
Um, there was a bunch of guys. Uh, Mike Lyons. Uh, I don't too many to remember. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there were I mean, some those... notable guys that are still around, still kicking ass today. That were you were running against, which is kind of cool. Oh yeah, it's, I mean they just they you know they got they got um, opportunities to advance, and where I just didn't I didn't quite get that. So um, I kind of just had to stick with what I had and. I just didn't have the money to move up, so I would love to have moved up a long time ago, but I just, I just couldn't do it. Yeah, the op- it wasn't in the cards at the time, which is, you know, it happens. Happens yeah, to some say guys. People it's the same car, you just gotta, you know, but no, you you spend a lot more money when you move up a class. Oh, well, yeah. You know, if you want to be competitive with those guys, like, you need to try, you need to buy tires every week, and you need to... You know, that's you can't just go down the street and take you know, get somebody's takeoffs. That's not it's not gonna happen. You're not gonna be competitive like that. So Well, and just the motor alone. I know what a oh, great yeah. motor costs brand new and I know what a, a spec motor costs. There's a big difference in money there. Right. And that's another thing, like when I you know when I was started out and we were, you know, racing sportsmen and we were going to HG, you know, like me and my dad would do a lot of the work ourselves because he was good friends with Gus. And, you know, I, you know, we would take the motors apart and we were, you know, put them back together. And, you know, most of the time they just did the machine work or the, you know, the stuff that we couldn't do. And then, you know, that was a, that was a big financial help. Cause I mean, uh, cause if you would just go down to Gus and ask for a sports motor, I'm sure it would be like 15,000 or 18,000 at the time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm so like a $15,000 motor I was getting for eight, you know what I mean? Uh, cause we were doing most of it ourselves. So right. I make a lot of stuff myself too at the shop. I mean, the bodies and, you know, radius rods and brackets or anything that I can possibly do myself. I do it. So, I don't just go out and buy everything. I just, I, I can't make it happen that way. So. Well, and in current times, that's probably a good thing considering how parts are so scarce. Yeah, it, it's the the only problem with you know trying to make everything yourself and you know trying to like build frames and bodies and and you know and also work you know like a, a regular job. It's it's very time consuming and. Uh, you know, we don't have the resources like T.O. or Picknell, you know, like where they have jigs set up and you can just slap shit together in like 10 minutes. It's, I mean, it takes takes a long while till you figure everything out. And like, you know, this goes here and you're going to have to, I mean, it's a lot of, you know, thinking and it's a lot of, you know, man hours. It's not just doesn't, it just doesn't just go together. No, no, it's not. It's not an easy puzzle necessarily. No. <laughs> like when we were building that frame. I mean, that for a while because i mean we didn't really have a jig so i mean we took one of my dad's jigs that he had from back in the 90s you know when the cars were still the frames were still tapered you know uh they weren't straight like they are now right the the two by fours were on an angle so um you know we kind of just adjusted his jig a little bit and i mean and then we started, you know, we put the two by fours in and then we would, you know, go from there and we'd add this part to this bar, you know, and then put the roll cage in. And then it's like, all right, well, this was here. And then every once in a while, I'd have to go out and measure the T.O. just to make sure I wasn't messing up. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it was there a lot of trial and error, too. Oh, yeah, I mean, like our first design, like. I went out there and I was, you know, we, we kind of went with some off the wall stuff just to see, 
because the the way like Bicknell and the and the Tios had the left side pan hard set up, um, we thought it would be a little less violent. You know, when they first came out with that, the cards were really hard to drive okay. until you know people got it adjusted better. Um, so we thought it would be a little bit less violent if you know we put a W link on. So we tried running the W link. And it just it, every time every time I went out on the track, I'd come back in with a bent W link because it wasn't mounted correctly. So we got to you know, move stuff around, and it's like so. Then like, but when I would bend the W link, the car would take off like a rocket ship. So I'm like, well, maybe maybe there's some so maybe there's something to that. So we we actually made one that was pre bent and braced it up, but then I just started breaking the himes off. So. Uh, we pretty much had to eliminate that part out of the uh, out of the equation and just go with the regular pan hard. But I mean, it's all trial and error. Everything's trial and error. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the name of the game to a point too. I mean, a lot of guys have you know their reps at Bicknell and Teal and speed dial, and I've seen guys after hot laps on the phone talking to you know Matty Hearn like, hey, I need to car's not doing this. How do I get it to do this? And you know, you always didn't have that opportunity. To just call up your chassis builder after hot laps. No, like, well, back in, I don't know, it was around 2005 or whatever. I worked at Speed Palace when Speed Palace was still open. And so they, they had this old junk frame sitting out back. And, I, you know, I wanted to put another car together besides the one that I was racing, which was the, the one my dad built, mm-hmm. that Leaf Spring car. So Rick Schaefer actually, that was actually Rick Schaefer's car that was sitting out there with a bunch, it was like a bent back clip and, a, and the front clip was all messed up. And I said, yo, Phil, what are you, you know, what are you doing with that thing out there? He's like, oh, you can have it if you want it. He said, you can even put it on the jink and put two new clips on it. And <laughs> so I did that. And that was actually the car that I started racing at Diamond, you know, back in, uh, well, I think it was 2005, I, I got it out. But I mean, uh, <laughs> with that car, I tried all kinds of different stuff, you know, like a pull over on the right side and a torsion on the left. And people would come up and look at my car and be like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> But it took off, and I mean, it went. So I mean, I don't. Well, you I, had I like some. To try, you had like success to too. Off, off base. You know what I mean? I don't like to. I always think to myself, like, you're not going to win. You're not going to beat guys if you're doing the same thing as those guys are doing. So. Correct. Correct. But you had success at Diamond too, didn't you? In the the like the later part of the 2000s. Uh yeah, we uh, we won the championship there in 2008, and that was with that. Same speed power. I think I ran that same speed power's car for five years. So yeah, yeah. I re- I remember going up. I think once in the middle of that time frame, just on a whim. And I remember you were kicking ass up, you know, back then too. Yep. Yeah, that car was great. It was one of my favorite cars. I don't. That thing just took off. I don't. Is that the car that you let Glenny run? Uh, yes. Well, actually, I think he ran. Well, he went, he took my car out twice. So. Oh yeah, and I want to I want to get into that. <laughs> well, there's a like, I don't know if the first time was in the the first Speed Palace car that I had, and then you know um, Kyle Strickler drove for Ray Carroll for a little bit, and he had a Speed Palace car. Okay. And it was actually sitting. I forget where it was, but. Um, I ended up with it somehow. So when my first Speed Palace car, I, I finally decided it, it had enough abuse. Uh, and I switched over to the other one. Um, I think Lenny took the, the old one out and the new one out. So I think he was in both of them. So how did, how did that whole thing come about? Because 
uh, I would have never thought that Glenny would be out there <laughs> running a modified car. Well, he always, I mean, he was helping on the car, and right. and he always, you know, he he always wanted to like, you know, take it out or whatever. And like the big joke was the first time I let him take it out at practice, and and uh, you know, I, I don't know if he thought it was going to be easy or what, but like he went out and you know he ran around for eight laps, and I mean, it wasn't he wasn't even really going full speed or whatever. And he came in the pits and I mean, he was totally winded. <laughs> Couldn't barely catch his breath. And he's like, how many laps did I run? He's like 20. And I'm like, uh, eight. <laughs> so, I mean, that was always the big joke with Glenny. Cause I mean, it's, he was every day since that. He's like, man, it's really not as easy as it looks. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I could have told you that. <laughs> That's funny. So when did you decide to let him run the car for a whole night? At that time, I had stopped racing Diamond, and I moved to Grandview. And so, I mean, I wasn't really racing on Fridays. So, and, you know, he, he was bugging me to drive the car. And, you know, I, I said, you know, I could really use, you know, a little bit of money for, like, sponsorship or whatever. I was kind of low on sponsorship that year. I said, you know what? I said, you buy me a drum of fuel, and, you know, I'll let you take it out at Diamond for a night. And so... He bought me a drum of fuel, and then I, we picked a night, you know, where you know we thought it would work out, and we went up there. And <laughs> he actually, uh, like, before the first time he drove it, uh, yeah, I had him up at the shop, and he was, you know, he, I said, "You better get in the car, make sure you fit, you know, and at least try to pull out in the thing, because it's not like driving a street car, you know, you got to push the clutch in to go." So <laughs> he's sitting in the shop, and I'm like, "All right, give it a little bit of gas, you know, push the clutch in." And like, so he kept stalling and stalling and stalling and stalling. And I'm like, all right, Glenn, just hold the, I said, hold a little bit of pressure on the throttle. Just bring the idle up a little bit and then just slowly push the clutch in. Well, he jammed it in there and I thought he was going to take out the pillar at the freaking shop. I mean, he, went, he went flying out the shop door so fast. I was like, it was good you were pointing in the right direction. <laughs> but no, it was, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it, was a, it was, it was a fun experience. Oh, yeah. Well, and for what I keep hearing is that he did okay one time and he might have bent some equipment the, the second time. No, actually, it was the other way around. The first time out is when he, he demolished it. And then, uh, <laughs> he's like, I want I then he wanted redemption. So then he, I had to let him take it out again. So. Oh, man. And it, it's probably hard to be like, I'll let you take it out a second time after you just balled it up the first time. <laughs> well, I just made sure I didn't have a race the next day. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that first time, we ripped the whole front end off, and then we had to go to Grandview the next day, and I was like, man, this is going to be a long night. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I mean, we all we all bunched together, and we went back to the shop, and we just pulled an all-nighter, and we made it. And he must have bent it just the right way because we ended up winning that night. No. You won oh, the yeah, night we, after he balled it up. Yeah, we well, That's great. <laughs> we went back to the shop and I just started you know, I took a piece of angle iron and I put it on the bottom of the two by four and I just started slapping new pieces on the front clip because and I mean we were just I mean, I had like five guys there with saws on and we were just cutting everything off. Oh my god. And I'm sure he was trying to tell you that it was all because of him that you won that night too (laughs) he doesn't have a problem reminding me of that no i I bet it right there you go (laughs) he said i bet it just right for you because you were sucking the whole year until that happened exactly yep oh my god that's too funny well uh before i uh cut you loose before we wrap this up 
you know, uh, what sponsors you got on the car? Who you want to who you want to thank people wise too? Um, no, I got a lot of good guys, and and I want to start with like the with the fourteen car too. I mean, uh, you know, Tom Schaefer Superstore, um, all the, everything that the Breitenstein did. I mean, they you know they put a lot of money into that car. Just even though we didn't get to race the whole season, I mean, they they you know they put everything they had into that car, and um, you know, TK Masonry, Scott Peck Plumbing, uh, Line Decker Racing Engines, Nick uh, Nick Dotto's in the, the, 14. Uh, the fourteen car. Um, I mean, a lot of spots. Roadrunner Race Fuels, LS Tire, um, Penske Racing Shocks. Um, uh, the Breitensteins had a couple of different shock builders. Uh, um, BFT, I mean, they helped out a lot with the Breitenstein car. Um, yeah, there's uh, so many. I can't. <laughs> I hope I don't miss anybody. <laughs> Joe Funk Lettering, I mean, he always does a nice job on my car. And, you know, Four Star does the, uh, the 14 car. And his his work's always nice too. Um, yeah, I can't I can't really think of anybody off the top of my head right now. I hope I didn't miss anybody. What about people? Um, Scotty, Lauren, um, you know, Chris, Jason, Rod, Alicia, Sean, Eric, um, you know, my dad, my my family, my wife, my kids, and they have to put up with me all year not being around. So. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people. You can't forget my favorite bright bill though. Chad, of course. Chad. <laughs> Chad's the man. Yep. We call him Ralph. <laughs> uh, the big question is, did he get his chocolate cake for his birthday? He did get his chocolate cake for Good. his birthday. Good. That's all that matters. And a lot right? of Coors Light, too. Oh, so. I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, I get yelled at when I go to give him one every time I see him. Nikki's like, he don't need one. I said, it's just one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, he, he likes his beer. So. Oh, yeah. That's why he fits in with us. That's for sure. But, uh, nope. Well, your plans are to go rent Bridgeport this weekend with the, the crate, right? Yep. We got Bridgeport this week. Um, I think next week we're going to make the trek down and go to uh, Georgetown on Friday and the US 13 on Saturday. The Camp Barnes Memorial Race, cool. Yep. Uh, I think well they have a I think they have a crate race at Georgetown the night before too, so we're going to do the both of them. Yep. Yep. Um, and then I think we're taking a week off and uh, we're taking actually taking a, we're going to take the family up and we're just going to have a family vacation up at Super Dirt Week. Um, the week after that's Port Royal. We're going to that. Um, I'm not quite sure what's after Port Royal. I think it's, uh, Eastern States is the week after Port Royal. And then the uh, week after that is Georgetown for the championship. I think weekend. has their state championships. Yes. Too, the same yes. Weekend as yeah. It's the same weekend as Eastern States. Yep. Same weekend as Eastern States. You're right. Now we haven't, I haven't made a final decision on that yet, but, uh, I'm going to talk to my motor builder. I think he might want to go to Middletown. No. So, um, there's a good possibility we might be going there. So go find you some um, good Hoosiers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hmm, I'm gonna have to go find something. I guess uh, there's a couple of things I gotta put different headers on and stuff for that too. So I think mean, Dirk has a whole different uh, rule book for those. So um, yeah, we got a lot of races coming up. Um, I hope everything works out. And we can make it to all of them, and um, yeah, I hope to finish out the year strong. So. Well, if it's anything like you did for the 38er without the mishap, you look pretty good, look pretty stout. So uh, I don't doubt you'll have a nice, successful rest of the season. Yeah, thank you. 
Yeah, anytime, Pap Pap, and I'll uh, I'll catch up with you later on, man. All right, thanks, much. All right, take care. See ya.